Epiphany, which is the season we're in, and which means roughly the same thing in the church as it means out of the church. It means aha, or seeing fresh for the first time. Epiphany is the season of new beginnings, of starting fresh. And to start fresh, it helps to let go of some of what has gone before. Some of the past, some of our regrets, some of the things we wish we could have done differently. And in the church, we call that letting go a prayer of confession. And a prayer of confession is always rooted in the certainty that we are already forgiven and loved. So, before we go any further, you are forgiven. And trusting in that, would you join me in a prayer of confession? Before God, with the people of God, I confess to my brokenness, to the ways I wound my life, and the lives of others, and the life of the world. Amen. Before God, with the people of God, I confess my brokenness, the ways I wound my life, the lives of others, and the life of the world. May God forgive you, and Christ renew you, and the Spirit enable you to grow in love. Amen. Peace, real peace, flows from confession. And forgiveness. The peace of Christ is not an easy or superficial or quick thing. It takes work and time, and it always takes grace. So I want to invite you to take a minute and think of someone with whom you're not at peace, or a situation where there is not peace. And then in the silence, let us pray for peace with that person or in that situation. Let's pray. Peace of Christ be with you. you. We have two lessons for today. The first is from Isaiah, chapter 43. They're opposite order of what's in your bulletin, but they're still scripture. So, Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 3, first part of of verse 3. And you can find that in your pew Bible on page 884. But now, says the Lord, the one who created you, Jacob, the one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When through the rivers, they won't sweep over you. 
When you walk through fire, you won't be scorched, and the flame won't burn you. For I am the Lord your God, Holy One, your Savior. And then from the Gospel of Luke, the third chapter, beginning in the 15th verse, in page 1248 in your Pew Bible. And if you're following along, I'm going to skip a few verses in the middle. We can talk about those afterwards if you would like. So chapter 3, verse 15. The people were filled with expectation, and everyone wondered if John might be the Messiah. John replied to them all, I baptize you with water, but one is coming, but the one who is more powerful than me is coming. And I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husks is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring his wheat into the barn. But he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. With many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. When everyone was baptized, when everyone was being baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit came down on him in bodily form like a dove or a pigeon. And there was a voice from heaven, You are my Son, whom I dearly love. In you I find happiness. The word of God for the people of God. So this is the beginning. This is the beginning of the story of Jesus in every gospel. Even the ones that have birth narratives, when it gets around to the business of Jesus being Jesus, it starts this way, with baptism. He goes out into the desert, just like everyone else, and lines up and is baptized. And he hears a voice. I love you. In you I find happiness. You are a delight. And you are mine. Before he does anything, before he proves himself, before he does one miracle or preaches one great sermon or feeds 1,000 people or heals anybody, you are mine. And I love you just as you are. You are a delight. Without having to do anything, you are a delight. Just the way you are. It's the same thing that billions of parents say to billions of children and aunts and uncles and chosen family. You are mine. And I love you just the way you are. You are a delight. Jesus hears those words. That's how it starts. Here at Bethany, we remind ourselves of those words 
every single week. Who are you? Every week we start with that because it's how Jesus started. And so we do the same thing. But we're not Jesus. Or at least I'm not. If you are, please let us all know. (laughs) Some of us, yeah. God said this to Jesus, though, right? In the scripture, God says it to Jesus, not to all those other people standing around, just to Jesus. So taking these words that are addressed to Jesus and hearing them as addressed to us, well, that's, is that okay? Are we... I mean, is that allowed? Are we missing the point when we do that? It makes some of us uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable some weeks. Because it's a bold claim that these words Jesus heard are also for us. So let's break it down the way we did with the kids. I'm a child of God. We might be okay with that part because it goes all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. And God made people in God's own image. We are children of the Creator. We are God's children. That is the first story about us. It is the first word about us. So child of God. Okay. Holy and beloved. We'll come back to holy because it's harder. But beloved. We know we're supposed to believe that we're loved. But that doesn't mean it's easy. My friend Elizabeth, I think I've told you about this, but it stuck with me. My friend Elizabeth went on a retreat where they had her write down her professed beliefs about God. The things she says she believes. I believe God is love. I believe God loves me. I believe God is forgiving. I believe God is gracious. And then they did some exercises to get at what you really believe. And she discovered when it came to herself, she thought God was pretty judgmental and not that pleased, not that happy with her. And there's this disconnect because it's hard to really believe God loves me. To believe that for ourselves. It's easier to believe that about babies, right? A baby is loved, whether it's our own or somebody else's, a baby is loved just for the fact of their existence. It's miraculous. And we love them just because they exist. So here's the gospel claim that doesn't wear off with age. Your existence is still miraculous, just as much as it was 
with your first breath. And you are loved. You are loved by the people here, by people far beyond here, and by the creator. By the one who makes us and sustains us. You are loved. A huge part of faith is relaxing into that love. Child of God. Beloved. Holy. If you heard what I said about that friend of mine, (laughs) you would not call it holy. Or if you know what I did this weekend, I mean, actually my weekend was really boring. But But there are all kinds of unholy fun to be had and all kinds of unholy habits for us to have that are a great deal of fun, at least at the get-go. Gossip, arrogance, gluttony, sloth. Judgmentalism, self-righteousness, all sorts of ways. We are flawed and fallible folks. We do all kinds of mean and unhealthy and deliciously ill-advised things. All of us. So who are we kidding when we say week after week that we are holy? Well, the Bible says we are. The Bible says we are holy. I know because I had to memorize one of these verses as a teenager. It was an effort to make us not do unholy things. It's from 1 Corinthians. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Our bodies are temples for no other reason than that God said so. Not because we did something, but because the Holy Spirit did something, chose to come and reside in us. We are temples of divinity. The Spirit is in us, not because we did it. Because that's the nature of the Spirit. So however uncomfortable it might make us feel, we are holy. You are a temple with holiness inside of you, along with all the other stuff. But holiness is there. Child of God. Holy and beloved. We say it every week because we need to hear it just as much, just as much as Jesus needed to hear it. That's why we start with it. I think that's why he had to start with it. Because there are so many voices in our heads and in our hearts and in our world that tell us that this is not true, that we are not really holy or loved or children of God. There are so many voices that tell us we don't count or that we're not good enough, not really, that we need to earn our place in the world and 
We might not be able to. We're failing even before we start. That we are what we do or what we eat or what we buy or what we make. And we have messages from childhood and experiences that have shaped us. And all that gunk builds up and traps us. And some of it may have started as something that was helpful at one point. But it's not anymore. Its usefulness has run its course, and now it just traps us. And there comes a point where all those voices and habits are like a snake skin that has become too tight and needs to be shed. And there's another voice that might make us feel like we are not loved and cherished. And that voice is not from our own heads. It's from Scripture. Or at least how we tend to interpret Scripture in modern America. In what we read today, it said, Jesus is coming to separate the wheat and the husks. If you grew up in another uh, like I did, if you grew up any time before right this minute, <clears throat> then you probably heard wheat and chaff. Jesus is coming to separate the wheat and the chaff. And so we hear that and we wonder, which am I? Am I the chaff? And if I am, or if there's even a possibility that I am, How can I really be loved? But I want us to notice something about this metaphor. This metaphor is not actually talking about one group of people and another. There are metaphors in the New Testament that do, but it's not this one. This metaphor is talking about two pieces of one whole, one single thing. A piece of wheat, a germ of wheat, and the chaff is the outer protective covering. The wheat will not grow if there is not chaff there. It will get blown away or eaten. It needs that protective covering. It's essential. It's not bad as the wheat grows. But once it's matured, if you would like to eat the wheat, you have to rub that protective covering off. That's how you get to the good stuff. It has served its purpose, and it's time to let it go. Sort of like beliefs that serve us for a time, and then it is time to let them go. Or habits, or systems, that may help us in some way, maybe, or that we can live with, and then it is time to let them go or leave them behind. All that limits us, that boxes us in, all that gunk that keeps us from hearing, child of God, holy and beloved, that ultimately gets burned away. At least that's the promise 
that that is Jesus' intent, to burn away the old things that keep us from life. All the things that make us stumble over that affirmation. You're a child of God, holy and beloved. Those voices that say, not really. Those are the ones that eventually will be gone. This is the promise. This is what Jesus does. Brings that winnowing fork and shakes things up in our lives, which is not always very comfortable. And rubs off those old husks, which sure can be painful, but might also be a relief. And brings out the wheat that we have been growing into all of our lives. So that we can hear and believe and center our lives around the good news. Child of God. Holy and beloved. When all those people went home, do you think any of them put that on a post-it note up on their mirror? I am not going to ask you to raise your hand if you have affirmations on post-it notes on your mirror, but I do. Which can seem so cheesy. I'm embarrassed to admit it, quite frankly. It seemed cheesy and self-centered. But here's the truth. This is an identity with power. That's why it's important for us to remember and let it define us. This is an identity with power. Because it challenges any other identity we might have. This is an identity with power. It is the bedrock of who we really are. And the more we can trust that and believe that and lean on that, the less we are pulled here and there, the less we are at the mercy of whatever ideas might be around us or whatever ideas might be within us, the less we are at the mercy of all these external voices that seek to define us. And that gives us power. It gives us power to resist injustice. Saying, I am a child of God, holy and beloved. That's not just navel-gazing. This is power. It is the, la- the ground on which we stand. When we are outraged, because children have died in our government's custody, because refugees are seeking refuge And finding none. That outrage does not, or at least should not, come from our political affiliation or political ideology. That outrage comes from our identity as children of God. And the more we know that about ourselves, the more we know that about each other. The more we trust that, we can't help but see it in the people around us. This is an identity with power because it makes us clear about who we are and who our neighbors are. Child of God, holy and beloved. 
And it not only makes it clear out there, but it changes us in here, too. It can lead to personal transformation. Not long ago, I was talking through a problem, personal, with a friend of mine. And I was insecure that maybe my problem was too much for my friend, that it was a bother for them or a burden for them to have to listen to me. And I must have let some of that insecurity show. I may have even named it. I don't remember. Because she cut me off mid-sentence and looked directly at me and said, Do you know I like spending time with you? Well, yeah. And holding that eye contact, she went on and said, And do you believe that I love you? Yeah. And I don't remember what else she said. And I don't remember what the problem was in the first place. Because I remember that I am loved. And that's all that matters. That's what changes everything. This is the reality for all of us all of the time. Even when we forget. You are loved. You are a child of God. And you are holy. And there are so many voices that make us forget. Voices in our head of trauma or assault or abuse or physical suffering or illness. And to all of that, God says you are holy and beloved no matter what. No matter what. Just as you are today, right now. Holy and beloved. And every voice that is not love is being burned away like so much chaff so that the wheat of who you are can be present. So as we start the new year, let's start it right. First things first. Who are you? If you need that reminder as much as I do, as Aaron sings, I want to invite you to come forward and dip your hands into the waters of baptism. You can dip your whole hand in there, rub the water all over, splash it up on your face, make a sign of the cross on your forehead, or just get a little on one fingertip. And as you come up, I'll remind you, you are loved. So come.